Good morning. God bless you guys. Um, I want to just begin with, uh, let me just begin with prayer, okay? If you would please just join me. Father, we want to just bless you. We praise you, Lord, as we enter into this Thanksgiving season. Your word says, let us enter into your gates with thanksgiving in our hearts and come into your courts with praise, Father. And Lord, that's what we do this morning. That's what we're doing this morning. We just thank you for your presence here during the time of worship and uh, other ministry time this morning. Lord, we want to just lift up our hands and our hearts and we just bless you and praise you because you are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. Amen. All right. Let me just... Um, Oh, go ahead. Yeah, we can clap. Go ahead. Uh, let's see. Uh, I, let me just uh, uh, add a little bit to the uh, the homeless ministry. Uh, so, uh, Danny and Anne Marie are, and their team, Steve and Beverly, I believe, are, are working on uh, serving a meal. That's the Saturday uh, before Thanksgiving. And uh, they'll be doing a hot meal over at uh, Pete's Pets, right across from uh, Pet Boys on Sirius Road. Uh, they're always looking for volunteers, always looking for help, so I uh, encourage you to come and be a part of that. And then the next day, we will be showing uh, here at the service, in the morning service, the new Billy Graham uh, movie. You guys have seen some of those My Hope movies where there's usually about three testimonies. They have a new one out, so we'll be showing that that morning. Uh, we'll also be picking up the homeless and bringing them here for, um, we're going to have dessert, we'll have pie and coffee for them, and then we'll also have some sack lunches, and it's at that point that uh, if you've got a, a coat, and I, I'm glad that Nina's not here because I've got one favorite coat, it's probably the oldest coat that I've got, and she tries to give it away every year, and it's like, man, we, it's like, we're, we're going to tear the thing apart before... Um, you know, she wants to give it away, and I want to keep it. Um, anyway, so please bring a coat, uh, socks, gloves, sleeping bags, things like that, and uh, we'll have a room set up so they can walk in and, and uh, take whatever they need. Whatever they need. Uh, I I heard uh, Tony Evans tell the story the other day about the kid that was in the grocery store, and this is just about God answering prayer. And uh, the mom, he was sitting in the, in the grocery uh, basket, and mom's pushing you know, the cart down the aisle, and they pass the chocolate chip cookies. And the kid says, Mom, I want the chocolate chip cookies. And mom's like, no. And uh, so they go down the other aisle, and, and uh, the kid says, Mom, I want those chocolate chip cookies. And, and, or the kid says that, and the mom says, absolutely not, no. Let's go down in the third aisle, and mom's still shopping, throwing stuff, and she's... The kid's all, Mom, I want those chocolate chip cookies. And Mom says, you know, if you ask me one more time, you know, you just wait till you get home. You know, we, in the old days, we didn't have to wait till we got home. I mean, it was just like when I was a kid, it was right, it was then and now. But so, so the mom pushes the basket up to the counter to the checkout line, and the kid stands up in the middle of the basket and begins to pray, and it begins to pray like this. Father in heaven, your word says that whatever I ask in your name, I will receive. And I'm asking you right now that you give me chocolate chip cookies. 
And the mother said there's about 10 pair of eyes looking at her, wondering what she was going to do, and that if she didn't go get those chocolate chip cookies, one of the other people in line was going to go get them for that kid. We're talking about don't giving up and being persistent in prayer, and I want to tell you to continue to pray. The Bible tells us to pray, and men ought to pray and faint not, is what it says. It says, ask and you shall receive, knock and it shall be given to you, and seek and you shall find. Ask, seek, and knock. So uh, I want to ask you to just continue to pray. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't quit. So we are in uh, Revelation, and I know that some of you... um, I'm wondering why we're in Revelation when it's the Thanksgiving season. I want to tell you, you've got something to be thankful about because this is our last day, okay? (laughs) Uh, It's actually been a good good series, and I've kind of given you the abbreviated abbreviated version of it, uh, the cliff notes, and we've talked about uh, seals and trumpets and cups, uh, bowls of wrath, and we'll be just kind of wrapping it up today with that, but let me just kind of... Just recap quickly about what we know about Revelation. We know that in Daniel chapter uh, 9, verse 27, the book of Daniel, what, you know what I love about this book but is you can't study it by itself. You've got to study just about every other book in the Bible to understand what this book is talking about. But in Daniel chapter 9, we understand that the tribulation period begins with, with the Antichrist signing a covenant with God's people. That's in Daniel 9, 27. We know that uh, the tribulation period lasts for seven years. It's that missing week of uh, the 70 weeks that Daniel speaks about. And uh, um, really, we know it has a starting point. Uh, It starts with the signing of the covenant. We know that it has a midpoint. Matthew uh, chapter 24, Jesus says, when you see uh, the abomination of desolation, uh, that's when the Antichrist goes into the temple that he's allowed the Jews to build, uh, he says, when you see this, he says, those that are in the, you know, the city and uh, the town and the country flee to the mountains. This is a midway point through the tribulation, and we know that the end of the tribulation period is when Jesus returns. It also, uh, we know that it is the, uh, the, tribu- the end of the tribulation period is the time that Jesus says that Jeruth- Jerusalem would be trodden down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled, and that is fulfilled when when Jesus comes back. Uh, as I mentioned, it has three major uh, 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 wrath periods. Uh, we call those the opening of the seals, which the Lamb upon the throne starts it. And then uh, we have the trumpet, uh, seven trumpets, and we have seven bowls of, of, of wrath. Um, it, it, the tribulation ends with uh, the, the false, cry, uh, false prophet and the, uh, the beast being thrown into the, they're the first two, you can read this in Revelation chapter 19, they're the first two that are cast into the lake of fire. In Matthew chapter 25, it talks about uh, those that are on the Lord's right hand and those that are on the Lord's left hand. And those that are on the left hand, it says those were, those were the unbelievers that were thrown into the, to the lake of fire that was prepared, listen to this, prepared for the devil and his angels. It was not prepared for mankind. But I'm telling you, those that reject Christ and reject Jesus as Savior will be, they are considered followers of the Antichrist and of the false, uh, of the beast and of Satan himself. Um, after they are thrown into the uh, lake of fire, 
Satan is bound for a thousand years according to uh, Revelation chapter, I think, 20. Uh, he will uh, be bound and thrown into the abyss. Remember, we talked about this uh, last week. Remember when uh, Jesus met the man that was full of demons and, and uh, Jesus says, what's your name? He says, my name is Legion because we are many. And the demons that were in that man cried out and said, please don't throw us into the pit or to the abyss. The abuso is the Greek word. It means it's the holding place for the demonic spirits. It's like it's the, the, the same word that would be used for Hades. For, and Hades is the holding place for the dead that do not believe in Christ. The, the unsaved dead, go to, they die, they, they enter into death, and then from death they go into Hades. All right. And so Satan will be bound for a thousand years. He will be thrown into the abyss. And uh, that is uh, what begins the millennial reign. Christ will rule and reign here on earth for a thousand years. And then Satan will be released from the pit. And there will be many of his followers, that, uh, of, of Jesus' followers, that will say, uh, you know, we choose not to follow you. We don't want your rule. We don't want your reign. We, want, we have rebellion still in our heart, and we're going to follow the enemy. And at that time, they will be destroyed and spend eternity in uh, the lake of fire. So at this time, at, at this point in, uh, uh, it, during the tribulation period, I want you to just think about this. There are several groups of Jews that are on the face of the earth. And uh, we'll talk about them a little bit more in depth in, in my message this morning. But you've got cultural Jews. These are non-believing Jews. They're just Jewish by birth or by culture, uh, but they don't believe in God. They're not Orthodox Jews. They're not Messianic Jews. They're just Jews, okay? You've got that group of Jews. You've got Orthodox Jews that don't believe in Jesus, but they are holding firm to the commandments of God and being obedient to, uh, to the Lord. You've got those Jews that are... Uh, once they, they realize, and in Revelation chapter 12, it talks about uh, a group of Jews that, that God uh, sends out. These are believing Jews, and they go to a place called Basra or Petra, which is in Jordan. Jordan is if you just look at Israel on a map, you got all of Israel. You got the Jordan River kind of like on the, on the right-hand side, and Jordan is just to the right of that. And so there's a place that God sends a group of people to, to, to protect them. In addition to that, you've got Jews, uh, you've got 144,000 Messianic or Christ-believing Jews, uh, 12,000 from each tribe, 144,000 total that are witnessing on the earth. And then you also have the two witnesses. Uh, and we'll talk about those in just a moment. So these are the different classes and groups of Jews that you have during this time. If you're using your Bible app, um, and by the way, you can get that. You can get it. Apple is also uh, up and running right now. And so all of these notes are on your app. Um, and uh, I'm not going to talk anymore about that. <laughs> uh, if, if you don't have it, uh, you know, you can go to the app store, get it. Otherwise, you can just watch our notes here. I'm going to begin here. Uh, it says, uh, and I, I just want to, you know, I can't cover, I, I've covered, we've covered uh, the uh, seven seals, we've covered the seven trumpets, and uh, today I'm going to wrap this up with the seven bowls of wrath. But there are a bunch of, you know, just really neat things that are in between there that we always have all these questions about, and this is one of those, all right? It says, 
and I will grant authority to my two witnesses. I want to tell you that we have spent more time as a church trying to figure out who those two witnesses is or who those two witnesses are uh, compared to the whole message of what they do. It's just like, oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's Elijah. It's got to be Elijah because he didn't die in Enoch because he was caught up into heaven. And we, th- you know, and we, then we think it's Moses, and we, th- you know, there's a, you know, a, a whole list of people that we try to figure out who it is. It doesn't make any difference who it is. It's two witnesses. I will tell you in just a moment who it, who they are. Okay, if you really, really, <laughs> if you really, really, really want to know, I'm going to tell you exactly who they are. All right. And say, he says, I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy. All right, this is one of those numbers. This is one of those numbers, these key numbers that you got to keep in mind. All right, 1,260 days. This is based on a lunar calendar. The Jews go by a lunar calendar. And if you take 1,260 days, the lunar calendar only has 360 days in it. And so those of you with your calculators right now, if you start punching that, 1,260 divided by 360 you will come up with what? Exactly what will you come up with? Three and a half years, okay? So he said 1,260 days or three and a half years or another way that it said is a, uh, a time, which is a year, times, which is two years, and a half a time. And when you add a time and times, two times, and a half a time, you come up with three and a half years. So they're all saying the same thing. He says, my two witnesses will prophesy uh, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees, the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm this, this, this includes the Antichrist, the, uh, the beast, the false prophet, Satan himself. It says, if anyone would harm them, fire pours out of their mouth and they consume their foe. If anyone would harm them, this is how... He is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut up the sky that no rain may fall during the day of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pits. Notice when they, when they finish their testimony, they, God has called them for a period of time. This is one of those three and a half years, 1260 days. God has called them for a period of time. And it says that, uh, and when they have finished their testimony, it says uh, the, the beast will make war and conquer them and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that is symbolic, symbolically called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. Well, we know that that's talking about Jerusalem. It says, and for three and a half days, some of the people and the tribes and the languages and nations will gaze on their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents. It sounds like Christmas time. It says, because of these two prophets that have tormented those that dwell on the face of the earth. And after three and a half days, a breath of life from God enters into them. Okay, it's talking about resurrection now. And they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell on those that saw them. And they heard with a loud voice saying to them, Come up here! And they went up into heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell, 
and 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified. Interesting, Nina used that word this morning. And gave glory to the God of heaven. Notice this. After they see this, after they see this, it says that they were terrified and they gave glory to the God of heaven. And the second woe was passed and the third woe will soon, uh, soon come. And this is one of the last places that we see after judgment comes upon the land where men and women are coming to Christ. And we know that as we look at, at the book of Revelation and we see those that are standing around the throne, it talks about that those that came out of the great tribulation, a number that no man could number. It was such an incredible number. The 144,000, you've got the 144,000 that are, are preaching Christ. You've got these two witnesses that are doing signs and wonders that are preaching Christ. You've got an eagle that's going around uh, the earth preaching Christ and, and talking about repentance and you know, you've got this great number that no man can number that has uh, come to the saving knowledge. And the only way at that point, the only way of salvation at that point is that it's going to cost you your life, okay? It will cost you your life. And Satan is doing the same thing that he has always done from the beginning of tribulation to the end of tribulation. He is uh, constantly persecuting, killing Jews and Christians and anyone that will not receive the mark of the beast. We know that that mark, at least for Satan himself, is 666. And then we move to uh, Revelation chapter 15. It says, And the seven angels who were holding the seven plagues came out of the temple, and they were clothed uh, spotless in spotless white linen with gold sashes across their chest. And one of the four living beings handed each one of the seven angels a gold bowl filled with the wrath of God. Uh, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory, from God's glory and power. Now listen to this. Prior to this, prior to this point right here, this is the end. This is the end right here for salvation as uh, people coming to know God. It says that no one could enter the temple until the seven angels had completed pouring out the seven plagues. This is the end. There comes a point, even in, in, in the book of Tribulation, where no one else can get saved. And, you know, we've come through seven seals, and we've come through seven trumpets, and we come to this place right here where the temple of God, you know, and if we read, um, if you just back up, and this is not in your notes and not on the overhead, Revelation 11, verse 19, it says, And God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen uh, within his temple, and there were flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and an earthquake and heavy hail. This is in Revelation 11:19, and then by the time you reach 11 or chapter 15, it says no one could enter the temple until the seven angels had completed. It was closed. It was closed, and this is the end. This is the end of salvation, and all that remains. And remember when Jesus was talking about uh, in Matthew chapter 24, he said that that the end of the world would be like a woman in labor pains that it would just increase and it would just get worse and worse and worse until, you know, the time, time of, uh, of birth came. And if you look at this book, it is, it is a time of birth. I mean, there's a lot of pain that's going through this, but when, when uh, this book is over, the, the nation of Israel will be revived and the nation will be saved. We'll get to that in just a moment. And so uh, we're going to go quickly through these bowls. Uh, the first bowl 
uh, again, it, uh, you know, it's uh, loathsome sores, incredible sores. And I heard a mighty voice from the temple say to the seven angels, Go your way, pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath. So the first, first angel left the temple and poured out his bowl on the earth, and horrible, malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped uh, the statue. Notice, remember we talked about there was a difference last week between what was going on in the land of Egypt and what was going on in the land of Goshen, where God's people were in Goshen and, and the, children, the children of Israel were in Goshen, but you had the unbelieving and the Egyptians in the land of Egypt. And when hail came to Egypt, it didn't come to Goshen. When, when the livestock died in Egypt, none of the children of Israel's livestock died. When it was darkness in Egypt, None of the, uh, the children of Israel had light. Uh, when the firstborn of Egypt died, the firstborn of the cho children of Israel lived. And God says, I will put a distinction between my people and the people of the world. Those that refuse me, reject me, and deny me, and despise my word. He said, there will be a distinction. And it says, it says everyone that had the mark of the beast, notice that. The, these plagues are not coming on everybody that's on the face of the earth, only those that had the mark of the beast. The second bowl is the sea turns to blood. And remember last week I told you that every one of these plagues, if you're a Jew or you remotely have been a Jew or around Jewish people, um, and whether you're a believing Jew or a non-believing Jew or not, you probably have heard somebody tell these stories about the plagues that came upon Egypt. And all of these plagues are to remind the Jewish people who God, this is what's called the time of Jacob's trouble, it is to remind them, like, wait a minute, wait a minute, where have I heard this story before? Where have I heard about water turning into to blood before? Where have I heard about hail coming down before? Where have I heard about the destruction of land with darkness before? And their mind is all set so their mind would go back and say, hey, listen, this happened once before. And God, there's a God in heaven. All of a sudden, you know, the light bulb comes on, the dots are being connected, and they're thinking about, man, this happened once before. There is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven. We still don't know his name yet. We still don't know who he is yet. Uh, they knew his name. Uh, you know, I didn't mean to say that. But they didn't know that Jesus was connected with this God in heaven. And so the sea turns to blood. It says, And the second angel had poured out his blood or a bowl on the area of the sea, and it became blood, uh, like the blood of a corpse. That's coagulated blood, thick. You know, nothing is on the ocean anymore, and everything in the sea died. Remember, we started out, it said, when the four horsemen go out, it says that a fourth of mankind in, in the earth was destroyed. A fourth of that. And then, so you got three quarters of the world left, but then it says, again, uh, you know, after the trumpets have been blown, a third of the world and mankind are being destroyed again. So God, it's like if you had a, 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 a bright spotlight upon a stage and you began to just gradually begin to shrink that till it began to center just right over Jerusalem and Babylon. And there are two main themes. I don't know if you've noticed this before. There are two main themes in the Bible. One is the supremacy of Christ. That's one of the main themes from beginning to end, the supremacy of Christ. And the other one is this battle, this, this, this ongoing fight that God has got going on 
with Babylon. And you can go back as far as Genesis and you can see it there. You'll remember that Babylon is west of, of Israel in Iraq, modern-day Iraq, all right? And so in, uh, in Genesis, God calls a man by the name of Abraham out of the land of Iraq, out of the east, and calls him to the west, okay? Uh, you'll, you'll remember that even before that, there was a man by the name of Cain, and, and Cain, after he sinned and, and rebelled against God and didn't want to do what God was doing, he was in the west, and it says that Cain went to the east. And so you've got this east and west. Babylon is to the east of Jerusalem, and, and Jerusalem is, is to the west. The Antichrist comes out of the east and comes to the west for this destruction. This Babylon ongoing battle all through Scripture it was Babylon was the first nation that the time of the Gentiles begins with the captivity of the Jews uh, in about, uh, I think it's about 700, 800 uh, B.C. Uh, that Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, he is the first nation of all the nations of the world that comes in and, and has this, uh, this, this battle and, and takes the siege of Jerusalem burns the temple, and then there were other kings that followed him. But it began with Babylon. Uh, remember the Tower of Babel, and again, in Genesis. Um, you know, the, it's just like this, the enemy's way and God's way. And, and it's just like this nemesis between God and Babylon, or God and Satan, uh, the east versus the west. And we'll see here in just a minute. I hope I don't spoil it for you, but Jesus is going to win here, okay? All right. Um, so, and then we have, uh, you know, the sea turns to blood, and then we have the fresh water that turns to blood, all the fresh drinking water. So the earth really is getting to a place, and we know that these plagues right here are coming at very near, near the seven-year period because you can't really survive. I mean, there, there might, be, might have been several places that they had water supplies, but fresh water has now turned into blood. And so unless you had some stored up, you don't have any fresh water to drink. And man cannot live very long without water. All right, it says, And the third angel poured out his bowl on the river and the springs. They became blood. And I heard an angel who had authority over the water saying, You are just and holy who is and who always was because you have sent these judgments. And since they shed the blood of your prophets and your people, the prophets, you have given them the blood to drink. It is their just reward. And I heard a voice from the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, your judgments are true and just. The fourth bowl, men are scorched. Remember we, we talked about how last week uh, during the trumpet judgments, how a third of the day would be night. There's something that has happened in the, in the, in the heavens, and there's a shift. And now the sun, instead of being you know, man's friend, is killing men. It says, and the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with its fire. Everyone was burned by the blast of heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. And they did not repent of their sins, and they did not turn to God and give him glory. The fifth bowl, darkness and pain. And the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. That would have been in Babylon. 
and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. His subjects ground their teeth in anguish, and they cursed God, the God of heaven, for the pain and the sword, but they did not repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. And the sixth bowl, Euphrates dries up. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River, and it dried up so that the kings of the east could march across. You know, we're living, we've gone back to a time to, you know, like it would have been 100 or 200 years ago. Uh, it, it appears that everything, war, is being conducted by horses and chariots. And, uh, you know, we think about, you know, so what's, so big, what's the big deal about, you know, getting across the Euphrates River? Well, if the, uh, you know, if it's a river and it's wide and, and all you've got, you've got to move a mass, you know, army across it, it can be problematic. And so the river dries up. God causes the river to dry, dry up. Now, do you remember a scripture that God says, he says, I put a hook in their mouth and I drew them. I pulled them. That's exactly what's happening right now. God is pulling Satan and all of these demonic forces, all of these other world leaders that are against Christ, bringing them into Jerusalem for this great battle. The seventh battle, it says, the earth is utterly destroyed. The seventh uh, angel poured out his bowl in the air, and the mighty shout, a mighty shout came from the throne. Listen to this. This is so cool, all right? It says, a mighty angel, and a shout comes from the throne of the temple, saying, it is finished. It is finished. Now, that might uh, sound familiar to you, to some of you, because when Jesus was on the cross, and Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and to fulfill all scripture, he said, I'm thirsty. And a jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips, and when Jesus tasted it, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up the ghost, or gave up the spirit. All right, when Jesus said, it is finished, remember in um, Isaiah chapter uh, 53, Johnny says I use this scripture a lot, uh, but it says that uh, uh, he was esteemed and stricken of God, um, and he says that uh, he has uh, borne all of our griefs and he's carried all of our sorrows. It says that he was um, bruised for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace is upon him. It says, and all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. But it pleased God to lay on him the iniquity of us all. And so when Jesus said, it is finished, that meant, what that meant was that the wrath of God for you and I, for our sins, was satisfied by accepting Jesus as the sacrifice. Are we clear? We understand that? So God's saying that I'm going to use Jesus and I'm just going to pour all of, my, all of your sins and all of my sins and the world's sins, I'm going to put them on him and those that receive him, it is finished, it's over. There's no more anger, there's no more animosity. The book of uh, Ephesians says that at one time you and I were enemies of God, that we were separated from God, but now because of the blood of Jesus and because of the sacrifice of Christ, that we have peace between, you and I have peace between God. It's a, but those that reject that, those that reject that and refuse to accept that sacrifice, this is exactly what this is talking about right here. When God pours out that seventh bowl of wrath 
and everything is absolutely pretty much just pummeled. I mean, this earth is pummeled. Nothing looks the same, and God uh, shouts out, or this angel shouts out, it is finished. The wrath of God is finally finished on an unbelieving world. It is over. The earth is over as we know it, all right? And uh, so let me just tell you how it, the, the, the final couple of verses, and we'll wrap this thing up. Um, this is what John saw. And this is really cool because, you know, I could take any four of you and put you on a street corner, and all four of you could watch a, the accident, an accident happen. Somebody runs a red light, and I could ask each one of you what happened. You know what? Every one of you would tell me a different story. I mean, it, we'd probably get to the truth. I mean, the, the truth would come out, but you would, you know, some of you would say, well, you know, I, I looked up, and, you know, uh, I mean, after the accident, I looked up, and, and, and the light was red. And I think the guy might have run, run a red light, you know, not knowing that the time that you were watching all of this other stuff that, you know, time changes and the light changed. And, you know, all of us would have a different story. John has got a story. He's, you know, he's telling his story, his version of the story, you know, from, uh, from heaven. And this is what John is seeing from heaven. He says, he says, and then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True and Righteousness. He judges and makes war. His eyes are like flaming fire, and on his head are many diadems or, or crowns. Remember, we talked about that. There are two types of crowns that are mentioned in the Bible. One is a diadem. This is one that you inherit as being a son or a daughter of royalty, and that's what you have received because you were sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you understand that. You have we have a diadem. The other one is called a Stephanos. This is one that you earn. This is a Greek word. It means, it means that you earned it like, a, 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 like a, a general would in an army or a battle, comes forth with a great conquest, and they come back and, and put you know, a badge of honor on him. This would be called a Stephanos. It says, but here comes one that has many diadems, many crowns on his head. He has a name that no one knows but he himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which uh, he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen and pure and white, were following him on white horses. I want you to know that you were not engaged in the battle. Remember, God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I mean, you're not going to take part in any battle. He's not going to give you a sword. He's not going to give you a shield. You don't, you're just there. I mean, this is one time that the church can really be an observer, okay? Uh, I mean, I talk about this all the time. You know, the church is not a football game. It's not a baseball game. You're not coming to watch. You're, you know, God has given you gifts and talents and asked you to participate in what's going on, and that's the salvation of the world. But in this particular place, at this time, you're just watching, and you're watching in awe because it says that the, the word of God goes out of his mouth, a sword goes out of his mouth, and he slays and destroys his enemies before him. It says, and the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, linen pure and white, were following the white horse, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword, which will strike down the nations. This is what John's seeing. Just John, just like in heaven, kind of over the balcony of heaven looking down, here comes Jesus, here comes the church behind him. Jesus is doing all the fighting. And, you know, it's just like, you know, Jesus is winning. He, he you know, he, he wins the battle. All right, so if you go back to Zechariah, you've got to go back a couple of hundred years, um, you know, uh, maybe about 700 years or so. And uh, this is what Zechariah saw. 
this is when 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 he's seeing when he's seeing the scene that I just described to you. This is what he says. He says, "And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication." Okay, so all right, keep this in mind. Remember in. in uh, in uh, Revelation chapter 1, it says that every eye will see. They're going to look and see. They're going to see him whom they have pierced. All right. And they're seeing, you know, John saying, here comes Jesus on this horse. But Zechariah is saying, it says that, he says that they're going to look on me whom they have pierced. And yes, uh, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. It's all of a sudden, they connect the dots, all right? And they see the one that they have rejected for 2,000 years. They've rejected Jesus, and all of a sudden, it's like, my God, how could we have done that? How could we have rejected Jesus all of this time? It says they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. And in that day... There will be great mourning in Jerusalem, and the land will mourn in every family by itself, the family of the house of David. Now listen, there's some names here that I want you to get, because you can, it's easy to read through this stuff and just like, what in the world does that mean? It says, uh, the house of David in itself and their wives by themselves will mourn. The house of Nathan in, uh, by itself and their wives will mourn. The house of Levi... Uh, by itself and uh, their wives by themselves, then they will uh, mourn. The, the house of Shimei by itself and the wives by themselves and the families that remain and every family by itself and the wives by themselves and they were mourn. This is Zechariah chapter 12. And so let me just kind of just quickly explain to you what this means. He starts out with David. David was the king of Israel. And then he moves to the house of Nathan. Nathan was the um, Nathan was the uh, a prophet? The prophet. Remember, it was Nathan that went to David and said, "Tells a little story about the you know the man that had a lot of lambs, and then he went to his neighbors and took the only lamb that the neighbor had and killed it." And then da uh, Nathan says to David, "You're the man. You're the man that did that." And David said, "You know, whoever did this should surely die." Nathan said, "You're the man." So we're talking about the king, and then we're talking about the prophet, and then we're talking about the house of Levi. That's the priest. All right, and then we're talking about Shimei. Shimei was a guy that, went, remember when uh, Absalom came in and, and uh, took his father's throne, took his father's concubines, there was great war. David left humbled, hu uh, humility, humility uh, uh, just in shame, has to leave Israel, and Shimei is out there cursing David because he was at the house of Saul and didn't really think that David should have been king anyway. He was still thinking that someone from the house of of Saul should have been king. And so what this is saying, from top to bottom, everybody in Israel is looking up and seeing someone coming, and they recognize him as the king of kings and the lord of lords. They recognize him as the one that they pierced, and they begin to mourn for all of the rejection, all of the generations of rejection that the Jews have given uh, Jesus Christ. Um, in, um, and I, I'm going to wrap this up right here, Isaiah chapter 66. You've, heard, you've read the scripture. Maybe you didn't know what it meant before, but listen to it. It says, who has heard of such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? 
or shall a nation, listen to this, shall a nation be born at once? And that's exactly what happened. He mentions it from top to bottom, everyone in the nation of Israel, everyone that is left in the nation of Israel will see this one coming on a white horse and they will recognize him as the one that they've rejected and they will begin to mourn, their hearts are broken and the salvation comes to an uh, entire nation, boom, just like that. And that's when the Bible says that all of Israel shall be saved, comes to pass on that day. Amen? All right, good story. Jesus wins. Hallelujah. All right, so we're going to come around to the table of the Lord, um, and while we are uh, doing that, while our men and women are preparing for us, you know, uh, they're preparing the elements and getting those ready. Let's prepare our hearts. Let's just go to the Lord and... Um, you know, the, we, as that, that last passage of Scripture says that in Zechariah chapter 12, that the nation began to mourn. That's really what, you know, brokenness is. Uh, that's what repentance is. Um, David said that, Lord, you're not interested in sacrifices. You're not really interested in, in uh, burnt offerings. That's what they would bring for their sins. He said, what you would rather see is a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. And um, I'm just asking that the Lord would, you know, I, I don't want us to leave this place heavy, but there's something about sin that, that can make us heavy. There's a burden of sin. That's why Jesus says, come unto me, all you that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's something about sin that causes us to be burdened. And he says, come to me, he says, my yoke is easy, it's light, it's easy to bear. And he's asking you to come today. And I'm asking you to come today. And so when the, all of these houses of Israel looked up and saw the one that they pierced, that they began to mourn. And as you and I realized that it's our sins that cause Jesus to be pierced. Um, and, and maybe even today, yesterday, last night, last week, there's something that we did, we said, we regret, we did that we regret. Um, and your conscience is guilty. And somehow that has brought in shame and with shame causes... Uh, just grief, shame and grief, all of these are just, you know, kind of guilt and shame, and then it leads to grief. But that should not lead us to despair, because God's word says that if we, if you and I, and, and I'm going to just say that <laughs> I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to you, that there are no perfect people in this room. We are all sinners. I, I quoted that scripture earlier. All of us, all we like sheep have gone astray and each one has turned to his own way. We all have a tendency to do that from time to time. We have a tendency to turn away from God and turn toward this world and the things that this world, things that this world has to offer. And if you just simply come to the Lord right now and just say, Lord, I ask that you'd forgive me my sins and you 
you've got your list and I've got my list, okay? And while they may differ, the Bible says that sin is sin. and There are no greater degrees of sin. Uh, he, he mentions lying uh, right beside coveting. That's wanting to have more and more. It's like, you know, the things of this world have become your God. He mentions that right next to uh, the sexual sins, whatever they may be. All of those are just kind of lumped together. And it's in the eyes of God when you and I come to him and with that brokenness, Lord, that I did this, but this is not the kind of person I want to be and this is not who I want to be. I want to be more like your son, Jesus. I want you to shape my heart and take my heart, shape my heart and make my heart like your son, Jesus. Lord, forgive me my sins. And I just promise you that if you said that, you know, it says uh, in Isaiah chapter 1, the Lord says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. And I'm going to tell you that if you confess your sin, that's the way God sees you right now. He doesn't see you as a sinner. He sees you as someone white as snow.